Thank you, Sue, and a very good morning. Yes, just to, I want to introduce our Bible reading today because I think we'll enjoy it and draw more from it if we just know a little bit uh, before we hear the uh, reading. The reading is from John 15, and it's that famous image where Jesus compares himself to the vine and us as the branches. Uh, but to really understand and enjoy it to the full, we just need to know how that image of the vine is used in the Old Testament. I just want to pick out three instances just to, to plant in your mind so that when we hear the reading, it'll just make all that more sense. So the first comes from Psalm 80, and there's an extended section there, verses 8 to 19, and it's a picture of Israel, the people of God, as a vine, but it's, it's used to portray the fact that Israel has been ruined. And the picture it gives is of God uh, finding a plot that is overgrown. Uh, maybe you've done this in your garden and uh, decides, I'm going to put something wonderful here. So clears away at the plot and you know, just does everything possible to get all the brambles and the thorns out of it, makes a lovely space for it, plants this uh, beautiful vine, watches it flourish for a short while, and then it comes back and finds that it's in ruins. So that's how that image of Israel as the vine is used in Psalm 80. In Ezekiel 15, the first eight verses, uh, the prophet Ezekiel has some really tough things to say. Again, um, using that image of Israel as being like a vine that God has planted. Uh, but Ezekiel's point is, once a vine stops producing grapes, once it becomes fruitless, it is literally useless. Um, and you can't do anything with an old, useless vine except burn it. The, the, the wood is of such a quality that you, you can't even really use it to, to like make a table or a chair or anything else. It just the only thing it's good for is for burning. And so that brings with it a sense of judgment that Israel was supposed to produce all this fruit and respond to the care and the love and the grace of God, but it's gone its own way. And then lastly, in Isaiah chapter 5, again, Israel's pictured as a vine, and, and a vine into which God has poured all this love and attention and time, but God comes to the vine wanting fruit from the vine, but finding none. And the question that Isaiah asks is, well, what else can God do with this vine into which he's poured so much of himself? And he, Isaiah says these words, God looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So the vine, of course, in a, in a sense, in a in Israel, which of course is a slightly different agricultural climate to our own, uh, the vine is a well-established picture of Israel in the New Testament. Uh, and it's, it's a picture that says uh, Israel is cherished and cared for and purposed to produce fruit. But the question that always overhangs the picture is what happens when it doesn't? Uh, so with those uh, images and background in mind, uh, let's listen to John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much indeed. In that amazing passage, I wish we had more time uh, together, uh, Jesus introduces three key images. Although arguably there's a fourth that is sort of lying just beneath the surface. And I want to address each of those briefly uh, and then in particular ask, well, how do, we, how, how do we live and pray the reality of this amazing passage? Uh, the first one is obvious uh, because it's about as obvious as anything gets really in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine. So Jesus, in a sense, owns for himself that Old Testament picture of Israel. Israel is supposed to be the vine, the, the people that produce fruit, or another phrase that's used in the Old Testament, they're supposed to be a light to the nations. And Jesus takes that and owns it and personalizes it to himself. So all that Israel was meant to be and was trying to be, I am 
now at that thing. I am the true vine, uh, the real vine. And of course, we put that alongside some of the other I am's uh, of John. But here in particular, Jesus is lay cl laying claim to that image that is right there in the Old Testament already. Uh, Jesus is doing what Israel could never do. Because the other example that we have of that thought uh, that may just help us here is, in a sense, exactly the same with the temple. Uh, the temple in Jerusalem that was and so it's supposed to be a shadow of the reality that came with Jesus. But there comes a moment in Jesus' own life and ministry where he begins to say of the temple, all the things that the temple was supposed to be in terms of a place of atonement, of being at one, a place of reconciliation, a place of learning, a place of inclusion, a place of welcome, the temple has failed to do that. But I have come to do and to be and to achieve all the things that the temple was pointing towards. So the first and the main image in this passage is of Jesus as the true vine. So it picks up that image from the Old Testament and says, it's here, I'm here, it's me, I am the true vine. The second image is slightly harder for those of us who are working in English, which is most of us. Uh, so the NIV says in verse 1, I am the true vine, says Jesus, and my father is the gardener. And it's that word gardener that is just not entirely, doesn't sit entirely comfortably in English. Uh, for most of us, when we think gardener, we think, I mean, a lot of you are gardeners because I've taught gardens with you. Uh, gardeners in English are generalists, and we tend to have a particular interest in making things look and smell nice. So for me, I'm, all the effort that I pour into my garden, I kind of feel if I could just have 20 minutes sometime this summer where I just sit in the garden at exactly the right time of the day with the birds at exactly the right volume and everything in flower and smelling nice and looking nice, that's, that's my aim. That's my purpose, just that moment of serenity when everything, you know, the weeds are under control or out of sight and everything is looking gorgeous and smelling great and maybe you have a few guests and the guests say, oh, Simon, doesn't the garden look wonderful? You know, that, that's, where, that's where we're heading. If you come to my garden, there's no, uh, no need to say any of those things, but that's what I'm secretly thinking in my heart. So that, that's, that's what we think of when it comes to garden. It's, it's really it's, it's this kind of generalist thing. Uh, the Greek word that we find in the Greek New Testament is georgos, uh, which really is a sort of general, you know, sort of fits all word for farmer. Now that doesn't help us either, because when we think farmer in English, we think cows and sheep and wheat, and that doesn't help either. So, other older English translations, as you may know, use a word that we never use anymore, but we sort of understand. So they would say, my father is the vine dresser. When was the last time you used vine dresser in, in conversation? It doesn't naturally tip, trip off the tongue. Although, if you substitute vine dresser for hairdresser, 
we all know exactly where we stand, don't we? We understand what a hairdresser does, and so we sort of understand what a vine dresser may do. They dress the vine in the same way that someone, apologies to anybody who's not had their hair cut for a while, dresses their hair. So vine dresser helps us. It's even more helpful just to look and see the description of what God does as the Georgos, the farmer, the, the gardener, the vine dresser. It's there in verse 2. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit and he prunes the ones that do. So Jesus is the vine. The father is the skilled worker, let's call him or her. The skilled person who tends his vineyard with the sole purpose of producing amazing fruit. So it's the kind of, it's, if, if we're thinking English gardener, it's, it's the vegetable or soft fruit section of your garden. You know, all you want from your raspberries is an abundant, tasty crop. That's, that's, that's what your focus is on as a gardener in that scenario. And the same with the father as the vine dresser, the Georgos. He is there to tend the vines to produce amazing fruit. And if you go to a vineyard, and many of you probably have been, you will know that so much of the success of the crop is down to the skill and the application and the focus of the people who prune and tend to the vines. The third image is, the, is another really easy one because there it is in verse 5. I am the vine, says Jesus. You are the branches. So, whether that's the original disciples or us as current disciples of Jesus, we are the branches. And if, if you think back to the last time you were in a vineyard or a photo that you've seen, you'll know that normally there's a kind of, there's an ancient stock of wood that kind of is coming up from the ground and it's thick and it's gnarly and it looks old and that kind of comes to a height of about here normally and then out of the top of that each year, I come branches, and the branch's sole purpose is to uh, produce wonderful uh, fruit. That's what they're there to do. But the branch that's coming off here can only, obviously, produce fruit in as much as it's plugged into uh, the vine. So if you nick it or cut it, it will very quickly wither. Now, this is, first of all, a beautiful picture of community and collaboration. Uh, you've got the experts pruning eye, uh, you've got uh, the solidity of the vine itself, you've got relationships characterized by humility and obedience and sacrificial love and fruitfulness. And although it's not explicit in the text, given that all that we've read already in John 14 about the spirit of truth living in us and helping us to keep the commands of Jesus. It feels authentic with Jesus' intention to complete the Trinitarian picture by describing the Holy Spirit as the sap, the sap that is drawn up through the old wood of the vine into the branches to become the essence of the beautiful grapes that hang from the vine. The, the sap takes the DNA of the vine itself and feeds it into the, into the branches to produce a wonderful crop. 
of course, in Paul's writing, uh, we have that sense, don't we, that, uh, that, that all those character traits of Jesus, gentleness, humility, kindness, what are they? They are the fruit that is produced in us by the Spirit. Two observations and then a way to pray in the light of this passage. Now, while vines, branches, vineyards, gardeners, farmers, vine dressers, whatever, whilst those are essentially agricultural images that may not immediately resonate with us, they're not actually that far from our experience and our understanding. We particularly understand the absolute necessity of being plugged into something. Our phones, if you just take the phone itself, our phones are utterly useless without two things, without the software that enables them and tells them what to do, without the operating system inside it, and without mains power to replenish the battery. So a phone, just as a thing, you might use it to prop up a table, but as an actual piece of stuff, it's no use whatsoever uh, without uh, the software that is inside it and without uh, the power that drives it. And so we find it actually very easy to understand and appreciate Jesus' command to remain 100% plugged into him and to his word. And that we should see uh, our purpose in life as being channels of his sacrificial love. We totally and utterly understand how useless it is to be cut off from the source. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard a phone dying? I had a phone dying once in my car, uh, and as I was driving along, you just hear this sort of plaintive sort of, eh, 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 and it's kind of seconds away from death. You know, we, we totally understand the power of that image. Although Jesus used a, a more agricultural image than many of us would immediately reach to, we completely understand that removed from him, that we are nothing. But we see again in these verses how we are invited into the glorious life of the Trinity and how one of the ways of understanding the Trinity is to see ourselves as valued guests given a place of great privilege within the family circle of the Trinity. I want to finish by seeing how this picture that Jesus uses helps us to live and pray the Trinity. And in my book, it's always better to live and pray the Trinity than it is to try and explain it. So three ways that this helps us. Firstly, we, I love this word, and if you, if you listen to Lectio 365, they use it a lot. We yield, we yield to God the Father. That's uh, the way that we um, relate to God the Father. We yield to him the skilled vine dresser uh, because we are in his vineyard. And we're following Jesus who taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now, think about this the next time you go to the hairdresser, if that's something that you still do. You wouldn't leave the hairdresser and complain to a friend, do you know, that hairdresser 
cut off some of my hair. You wouldn't, fa you wouldn't feign outrage that a hairdresser trimmed and removed some excess hair. That's sort of what hairdressers do. They don't do it randomly, or some of them maybe do, but on the whole, they, they don't do it randomly. They do it with a greater purpose in mind, which is a tidy haircut. Same too with the vine dresser. We yield to God the Father in the way that we yield to a hairdresser when we sit in that chair. We say to them, what I am is yours. So please encourage what is beautiful in me and cut off what is not. And so one, but not the only question, to ask of a setback or a disappointment, whether that's individually or as a community is, will this help us be more fruitful? Or expressed more negatively, has this exposed part of me or part of our church community that is withering on the vine? Something that has come, uh, come away from the life and the grace of God. So how do we relate to God the Father? We yield to him. How do we relate to God the Son? We remain in Jesus the vine. Being in Jesus in the way that that branch is in the vine is the only context where my life as a disciple or as a branch has meaning. The only context. Whatever I'm doing day by day, week by week, whatever my work, whatever my calling, whatever my challenge is, my life has meaning in as much as I remain in Jesus the vine. And we express this in two key ways. The first is obedience to Jesus' words. And the second is to love with his love. Because you, you may find like me that, that that sort of image of remaining sounds a bit airy-fairy, sort of looks okay on the page. What, but what does it mean? Jesus explains what it means. It means uh, to keep his commands. It's like an, an attentiveness to his words and a desire as much as we are able uh, to live them, uh, to practice them, to make them real. And then it's, it's to love with the same kind of love characterized by sacrifice and generosity as he has. It's saying we are bearing Jesus' fruits based on his character and his mission. It's Jesus' agenda that guides us. It's his operating system that is within us. We will flourish most completely as individuals when and only when we remain in him. So how do we relate to God the Son? We remain in him. We express that in the desire to be really attentive to his words and to love as we have been loved. How do we relate to the Spirit? Well, we soak up the Spirit. We draw it into ourselves as uh, the branches draw up the sap. We need the Spirit's power and nourishing and vitality. We need all of those things even more than our phones need power. The Spirit's primary purpose 
is not our own fulfillment and happiness. And sometimes we can settle for second best and think that it is. The Spirit's primary purpose is not our own fulfillment and happiness. The Spirit's primary purpose is to help us bear fruit for God, which is outlined in our passage as being able, being empowered to live out the beautiful, world-changing words of Jesus and to love other people sacrificially as he did. I find this an utterly compelling uh, picture of community and collaboration and fruitfulness. And it calls out to the deepest uh, yearnings and aspirations uh, that I find in myself. And maybe it calls out uh, to the hopes and the aspirations that you have too. But let's end uh, by praying together as we address Father, uh, Son, and Spirit. Let us pray. God the Father, we yield to you. As a church community, with all the things that we are aspiring to, all the things that we are offering, we yield to you, Father God. And we say, please, come, prune, Take away what does not honor. We dare to pray that for ourselves. Loving God, we yield to you. Trusting in your goodness and longing for the coming of your kingdom. Jesus, our beloved Jesus, we want to remain in you. We pray for help and grace to live out your words in obedience. Lord, we pray for each other in this church this morning. And we pray for any who are just having that battle of wills. Your will, my will. Those of us who really are fighting against a command of yours that we know, we understand, but we do not want to live. Help us. And help us, loving Jesus, love as you've loved us. And Holy Spirit, we come to you and we want to soak up your vitality, your truth. We want you to bring the character the authenticity, the love of Jesus into our hearts. And we want to bear fruit that is for your glory. We want that as a church community, uh, Holy Spirit. We long for it ourselves. So please, as we consciously open ourselves to you, as we remain in Jesus, as we yield to the Father, please infuse us with your grace and your love and your power. Amen.